This past week, I had the chance uh, to go skiing with my two older children. We went to Cannonsburg. It was a lot of fun, a uh, little cold, uh, but it was great fun. And of course, while we were out skiing, the ski patrol was out in full force. And I remember one particularly bad uh, crash that we watched as we were riding up the chairlift. It sort of happened beneath us. Ski patrol showed up. And it was this uh, very vivid reminder to me as a parent. I have a responsibility that as I'm teaching my children how to ski, uh, to try to help them learn how to avoid the things which often lead to injuries when you're skiing. It's pretty easy to get injured while skiing, and they come uh, during some pretty, pretty similar kinds of times. You can get injured when you're first learning to ski. You can get injured when you're tired, uh, when your muscles are worn down and you sort of abandon good form. That's another time it's easy to get injured when skiing. It's also easy to get injured when you get overconfident. In fact, I remember a particular moment while I was teaching Grace and we were going down the mountain and she had been, she was doing a great job. And uh, I just called Cannonsburg a mountain, didn't I? We were going down the hill and Grace was doing a great job. And I remember thinking to myself, I think she had fallen, and I remember thinking to myself, man, I haven't fallen this entire time we've been skiing. And then I thought to myself, it's been a long time since I remember falling while I was skiing. The moment that thought hit, of course, the edge of my ski caught uh, a chunk of snow. And I, it, was, it was everything in my power to keep from going over. I completely lost my balance. I think I threw my other leg up in the air. And I'm wobbling back and forth. The adrenaline is flowing, trying to keep myself from going down in a heap. Now, I'm sure Grace must be wondering, huh, what kind of advanced skiing move is this? You know, he looks like some sort of dancing monkey up there. But it was a nice reminder that when we get overconfident, that's also a time in which we can get injured uh, during skiing. Now, I say all of this because as a parent, it's important to be reminded that when you're skiing or whatever, there are possibilities for injuries if you're doing the sport incorrectly. And this is a helpful reminder for me as I'm thinking about the idea of going on a journey of faith. Because the point is, is that what I want to do when I'm trying to teach my children how to ski is I want to help them to understand there are some ways in which you can get injured if you don't do this correctly. The same is true for God as our Father as he takes us on our journeys of faith. There are times on your journey of faith when it's very easy to get injured often when you're just beginning your journey of faith, or when you're tired on the journey of faith, or when you get overconfident on your journey of faith. This is why we say every week in our benediction, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. It's very easy to get your skis all tangled up while you're going through the journey of faith and to come crashing down and injure yourself. But God has a word of encouragement for us that is meant to help us as we are learning how to ski, as we're learning how to journey through life with him. And so please take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and let's look at this word of encouragement that the Lord gives us. Hebrews 12, it's page 975 in the Bibles the church provides. 
Hebrews 12, we're going to look at verses 4 through 13. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What the author means there is, look, on our journeys of faith, we may be tired, it may be difficult, we may be having a hard experience, but we've not yet gone as far as Jesus had to go on his journey of faith. And if you're in the middle of that situation of being tired, or in danger on your journey of faith. He wants to remind us, verse 5, have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Here is a word of encouragement to us is that as we're going along on our journeys of faith, God disciplines us. Skiing is much more enjoyable if you learn how to do it properly. It's much more enjoyable if you avoid major injuries. So too, journeys of faith are much more enjoyable if you learn how to journey properly, if you learn how to avoid getting your feet tangled up in the sin that so easily entangles. And so Hebrews tells us a word of encouragement that God is constantly helping us learn to walk rightly on our journeys of faith. He says he does this by disciplining us. What does that mean? What do we mean when we talk about God's discipline? Well, notice in verse 5, do not lose heart when he rebukes you. The word for rebuke there is to speak a word of admonishment or correction. This is like a parent who is teaching their child to ski who says to them, hey, you can't go down the mountain like that or you're going to get injured. You're not allowed to be reckless like that or you might run into somebody and hurt someone. That is a maybe gentle, maybe stern rebuke. Verse 6, he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. The word chasten has to do with actions. So rebuke refers to words. Chastens has to do with actions. This is the parent that says to the child, look, We're done skiing for today because you simply will not listen to what I'm telling you to do. You keep skiing out of bounds or you keep skiing in a reckless sort of way. We're coming off the mountain until you start to do things the way that I'm telling you to do them. The idea is is that God also chastens us. He also brings discipline into our life. Uncomfortable, difficult, hard things into our life. For example... The discipline of God can take the form of him breaking apart an engaged couple who refuses to honor him sexually in their relationship. The discipline of God can take the form of financial struggles in our lives if we refuse to be unselfish and we continue on our materialistic bent. The discipline of God can come in our lives when we receive rebuke from others for being manipulative 
or going behind people's backs. The discipline of God can come into our life when we receive or experience sickness because we're refusing to pay attention to what it is God is trying to get across to us. I've experienced discipline in my life in the form of a car accident, in the form of sickness, in the form of a loss of position, in the form of a loss of opportunity, in the form of rebuke. Just a few to name those things. This is what God does. God chastens us and he rebukes us. And this is the discipline of God. Now, lest there be any misconceptions about what we're talking about or how this works, let me tell you the framework into which the discipline of God comes in our lives. Verses 7 and 8. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. The framework for understanding God's discipline in our life is that he does so because he is our father. It's this relationship of a father to his daughter, a father to his son. Now, normally when we think about God as Father, we think about Him coming alongside of us in the midst of difficult times and providing comfort and grace and mercy. And He absolutely does do that. But that's not the focus of this passage here. The focus here is on God as our Father coming alongside of us and providing us rebukes and discipline or chastening when we wander off of the path. Now, four things we need to understand about God as Father or how the discipline comes into our life, knowing and realizing that God is our Father. Number one, discipline is a regular part of our lives as Christians. It doesn't mean that we're always being disciplined by God. But it does mean that if you're a believer in Jesus, you should regularly be experiencing God's discipline. Now, when we think of an analogy of parents with children, there does come a point where children grow up and we no longer are disciplining them. However, God always remains our father. And even as we grow in our faith, He tends to root out things that were there before, but he chose not to deal with them at that time. For this reason, as we journey on our our faith journey, God is always dealing with something in our life. Now, it doesn't happen every day or every month or even every year, but we go through seasons where God is wanting to root sinful behavior out of our lives. And it's a sobering warning. If you're here and you claim to be a Christian and you look back over your life and you cannot identify any discipline from God, if you're simply going through life and you've been, it's been fine for you to, to have an affair, if it's been fine for you to steal money from work, it's been fine for you to go through uh, and to be vindictive and mean-spirited and abusive towards your children or towards others, and you've never once experienced the discipline or punishment from God for doing that, it's a sober warning, Hebrews says. You're 
probably not an actual Christian because God disciplines everybody who is his child. Number two, we need to understand that not everything bad in our lives is God's discipline. When we discipline our children, there are still other things that happen to them. They might get sick or they might have a difficult day at school or they might be persecuted for being a Christian or they may have a difficult time with the winter weather. That's not us disciplining them. Our discipline is only a portion of the difficult things that our children go through. So too it is with God. Not everything bad that's going on in your life is discipline from God. We saw this as we worked through 1 Peter last year. There's lots of suffering that takes place when we're being righteous. There's lots of bad things that happen to us being persecuted for being a Christian or simply because we live in a fallen world. However, a portion of the difficult things that happen to us when we're Christians are the discipline of God. They're God trying to get our attention for sin in our life. They're God trying to rebuke us and to encourage us, come back on the path. Stop doing things that way. Beware of the sin that so easily entangles. Number three. Because God is our Father, He wants us to know when we're being disciplined by Him. I mean, what parent tries to hide the fact that they're disciplining their child? That doesn't do the parent any good and it doesn't do the child any good. The same is true for God. When you and I are experiencing discipline from God, he wants us to know it. That's the point. Now, we may not always be listening, but he'll always be trying to communicate with us. The reason why this is happening in your life is because I'm trying to root some sin out of who you are to keep it from tangling you up on the journey that you're going on. And then number four, God doesn't usually discuss our discipline with others. When I'm disciplining one of my children and the other children want to know, ooh, what happened? None of your business. Same is true of God. God's discipline coming in the context of a relationship with a father and his son or a father and his daughter means that God doesn't tend to discuss our discipline with other people. Someone asked me this week about something that happened to a pastor in another part of the country and said, do you think that's discipline from God? I said, I have no idea. That's none of my business. God is not going to tell me those kinds of things because it's between him and that child. So it is, it's easy to come to a sermon on the discipline of God and think about, well, I hope my spouse is listening or I hope my children are listening or I hope the people in my small group are listening or I hope the people in the Sunday school class or the people in the church who are giving me such a difficult time. I hope they're listening and I bet, I bet what's going on right now in their life, I bet that's discipline from God. Just a warning. God's discipline is something between us and him. He doesn't tend to tell other people about it. He doesn't tend to share with it with other people. It's something he's doing out of his love for us. So if we were going to summarize this, what we want to say is discipline from God is words or actions delivered from God to encourage us to stop sinning. 
Discipline from God is words or actions delivered from God to encourage us to stop sinning. And the best and nearest example of this is how a godly parent disciplines their children. Now, why does God discipline us? Verses 9 through 13. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. That last phrase really sums up the purpose so that the lame may not become disabled, but rather healed. The reason why as a parent I would come alongside of my children and try to instruct them in the right way to ski is I know that there are weaknesses that they have and those weaknesses can turn into major injury. And I don't want to see that happen. So too God knows for us that we are weak We're formed from the dust of the earth. He understands that we have tendencies to get attracted to sin. He knows that we have weaknesses, that we get tired or we get worn down. And what he wants is for those weaknesses not to turn into major calamities, but instead to heal us. And this is an important point. God's discipline on our life is not punitive. God's discipline in our life is protective. It's not punitive, it's protective. For example, suppose you've been asked by God to journey on a difficult journey of faith in regards to an illness. And when you were first diagnosed with this illness, you faced it with faith and you believed that God was going to walk with you through it and you've been doing a great job. But as it's dragged on month after month, perhaps year after year, you've grown tired in constantly dealing with this pain or with this problem. And maybe recently you have allowed yourself to begin to slip into self-pity. And you begin to covet other people's lives and saying, well, why can't I have what they have? Why can't I do the things that they do? Why do I have to have this in my life? In those cases, God can gently come along and rebuke us and encourage us to stop focusing so much on ourselves and our comfort. But the reason he does it is not because he's angry with us. It's because he knows the longer we allow ourselves to wallow in self-pity, this is one of the things Satan uses to blind us to God's goodness so that we can't see how God is present with us in the middle of our weaknesses and what God may be doing in and through us because of this sickness. And the point is God's not trying to punish us. 
in a punitive sort of way. He's trying to protect us. He knows that because he's asked us to walk this journey of faith, we are susceptible to injury. We're susceptible of getting tangled up in sin. And when that self-pity begins to enter in, God gently rebukes us, perhaps through a friend who comes alongside of us and encourages us to take our attention off of ourselves and put it back on God and what God's doing. And God gently tells us, listen, please don't tell me how to do my job. I know what I'm doing. This is for your good. Or perhaps consider someone who's been engaged in pornography for a period of time and God's been trying gently to get their attention. He's done it by having them almost get caught a number of times. There's been sermons preached on it or other things that God has used to try to get that person's attention, but they refuse to listen. And so God allows them to get caught viewing pornography at work. They get fired for doing it. That's the discipline of God. But the reason he's doing it is not because he's angry and it's vindictive. The reason he's doing it is God knows that pornography is addictive then if you don't get that rooted out of your life, if he doesn't get out of your life, that weakness or that propensity towards sexual immorality will destroy you in every relationship you're involved in. And so God brings along his discipline, which is losing your job, in a way to try to keep our weaknesses from turning into major injuries and instead help us to be healed. For me, I think about God's gentle rebuke for me as a pastor in the area of people-pleasing. Now, I didn't think there was anything all that wrong with it. But God was gentle and kind to say, look, you can't serve me and people at the same time. Doesn't work. If you're trying to please them, you can't please me. And I will tell you that just like Hebrew says, when the discipline of God comes... It's never enjoyable. Nobody likes being rebuked, even when you're rebuked in the most gentle possible way. Nobody wants to think what they're doing is wrong. But when you look back and you see the harvest of righteousness that comes that as God takes out things out of your life, you're grateful. You don't want to go through it again, but you're grateful. And that's the point. Why do we experience the discipline of God? God is trying to protect us from major injury. We all have weaknesses. But rather than uh, the lame becoming disabled, he wants us to be healed. And that's an incredibly important point. God's discipline is not punitive. It is protective. If we continue down these paths and sin tangles up our feet, we are going to stumble and fall and get hurt. Which leads us to our final question. What is the proper response of a Christian to the discipline of God? Verse 9. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? The Christian's response to discipline from God is to submit to it, is to submit to God's discipline. Practically, 
That means four things. Number one, it means ask him if what you're going through right now, the difficulty you're experiencing, that friend who sat down with you to share with you something that's not quite right in your life, ask him if that's him disciplining you. To submit to God is to say that he's the one who's in charge. He's the one who's deciding these kinds of things. It's not ultimately up to us to decide if this is discipline or not. It's for us to ask him, Lord, is there something you're trying to root out of my life? Lord, is that hurtful statement that my spouse said to me, maybe they shouldn't have said it that way, but is that hurtful statement really ultimately about something you're trying to communicate to me? To submit to God is to ask him, Lord, is this discipline? Number two, to submit to God is to trust him. Listen, if you're like that example I just used a few minutes ago of somebody who's been asked to walk down a difficult road when it comes to illness, it's easy to think, God, you can't possibly be rebuking me for self-pity right now. After all, I'm walking down this very difficult road. We can think God is being unrealistic. We can think, Lord, I know you said I'm supposed to have joy in the midst of all these circumstances, but you don't actually believe that, do you? Can't you just leave me alone? And sometimes when they're in the midst of it, we think God doesn't know what he's doing. To submit to him is to trust him. If God is disciplining you, he's not being unrealistic. He's not being overly harsh. He's not being mean-spirited. He knows what he's up to. And you may think, but this is too much. This is too hard. This is too difficult. To submit to God is to trust him. And to say, I don't understand it. I don't see it. But I know that God is only putting me through this for my good. Number three, to submit to God is to endure the discipline. Hebrews says, endure hardship, verse 7, as discipline. What that means is if you've been in an experience where at work, you've been going behind other people's backs, making their lives miserable, trying to uh, stand on their shoulders and push yourself forward, and God has allowed someone else to do that to you, what it means is, is that endure it. Don't go running off for a new assignment. Don't go complaining to the boss. Don't try to re-undercut that person. If God has allowed this to come into your life because of what you've been doing to others, your best bet is to submit to God and say, okay, I'm here. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to learn and endure it. If you run away from it, that character trait will still be there. And whatever job you go to, whatever experience you go to next, you're going to do the same thing. And the discipline of God will meet you there as well. Number four, perhaps most importantly, to submit to God is to ask him for mercy in the middle of it. You see, to submit to God is to humble ourselves. Instead of being defensive and saying, no, this can't be discipline from God. I don't have anything wrong in my life. No, this can't be God being angry with me. After all the stuff he's given me to do, surely I have a free pass to do this. It's to stop being defensive. It's to stop fighting with God. It's to stop arguing with God. It's to stop ignoring God. 
And it's to get down on your knees and say, you know, you're right, Lord, I do have weaknesses. You know, you're right, Lord, I want this stuff out of my life. You're right to bring these things into my life, but please have mercy. Please help me. The discipline is painful. When you go through it, the great thing about God is he's a God who constantly relents. He constantly relents of discipline. We got hundreds of stories in the Bible. People like Cain or Samson or David or Hezekiah who experienced discipline from God. But when they asked for mercy, they received mercy from God. Remember, the context of this is God is not angry. He's not trying to punish. He's not trying to crush. He's not trying to destroy. He's trying to rescue us. And in the midst of it, we have every right to say, please, Lord, have mercy. David said, your hand is heavy upon me. I feel crushed. Ask him for mercy. And so here's what we want to do this morning. I want to give us the opportunity to do business with the Lord. We've left the stage extensions off here so that there's space for us to come and pray. We're going to be singing uh, three songs. I think the first one is just one for us to listen to, perhaps, uh, and then a couple more for us to sing together. What I want you to do during this time is, number one, if you're here and you're going through something difficult in life and you don't know if it's discipline from God, I want you to come forward and kneel down here and ask him. Ask him. He doesn't want to hide it from you. If it's not discipline from him, let him tell you that. That's really encouraging. If it is discipline from God, let him tell you that because it can help make sense of what you're going through. I also want if you're here and you know you're being disciplined by God, you know that the difficult things that you're going through right now is God trying to get your attention and you need mercy or you need strength to endure or you need eyes of faith to see how God is making you a better person through this, I want you to come and pray and ask for that. Ask for mercy, ask for strength, ask for endurance. If you're here this morning and there's some sin in your life, and you have this haunting feeling that the discipline of God is going to come, let me invite you down as well to confess that before the discipline comes. Maybe this sermon was just the Lord's gentle rebuke to say, pay attention. This is a danger. Come now and confess it before he begins to amp up his discipline to get your attention. And then finally, if you're here, and perhaps you've called yourself a Christian for a long time. But as you look back on your life, you think, I don't know that I've ever experienced the discipline of God. If you've been able to get away with being divisive or being destructive or being abusive or being adulterous or whatever it may be and never experienced God's discipline for that, Hebrews says the only explanation is, is that you're not genuinely a child of God. So I want to give you the opportunity as well to come and kneel here and ask God to make you his genuine child.